0: The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at Calvarytruth.org. Being a Christian, he goes on and says, being a Christian has come to mean going to church and being saved when you die. The ministry of the church is given over to helping people make the final cut of solving problems marital problems, witnessing problems, apologetics, pain and suffering, not to making disciples. And yet that is exactly what our mission is. According to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the very end of Matthew, Jesus gives what we call the great commission. And he's commissioning all of us, all believers, to make disciples. And to think of it that there are so many people around who who would identify themselves as Christian but have never ever been talked about, about this need to grow as disciples, to to be made a disciple of Jesus Christ. Discipleship means being an apprentice of Jesus in our daily existence as we live our lives. Listen to this invitation that Jesus gave to those who were following him in Matthew 11, verses 29 and 30. He says, take my yoke upon you. And that was the normal uh, expression that was used to call people to be a disciple of a teacher, a rabbi. And there were teachers all over the place, and they had disciples, they had followers who saw them as the teacher they wanted to hear. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and listen to me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Imagine uh, if a a carpenter, somebody who's went through an apprenticeship to be a carpenter, you think they would say it was easy and light. I've never heard one of them say that. Every apprentice I ever heard who talked about their apprenticeship process, it usually lasts about three years, talked about how hard it was, how difficult it was. And yet Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burdens light. A disciple is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to learn to do what that person does, to live like that person lives, to accomplish what that person is able to accomplish, or to become what that person is. What what does Jesus do that I can be discipled to do? What is it? Why do I need to be attached to him? What will I be able to do? Well, the answer is found in the Gospels. He lives in the kingdom of God. He applies that kingdom for the good of others, even if it makes and even can make them it possible for them to enter into this kingdom. Jesus lived in the kingdom of God. In fact, he says during his ministry that all he did was to follow the example of the Father. He was under the Father's rule and he followed the Father's commands. And so he came preaching a gospel of the kingdom, which meant you can enter into the kingdom. It is possible for you to enter into this relationship with a living God where you are a disciple and you can follow him. Luke sixteen sixteen, Luke writes, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. Or Matthew 24, verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Now, what's important for us to understand is the gospel of the kingdom is not different than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is seeing the fact that today, when a person puts their faith in Christ, they are transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear son is what it's called. That's the present form of the kingdom. And what's different about it? Well, you can't see Jesus physically. And if you say you did, don't tell me, please. Uh, because you can't see him physically, but you know, you have clear understanding that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the King and Savior and Lord. And it's to him that we are committed and we, are, we have become disciples of Jesus Christ. But sometimes what happens in our lives is we detect the fact that we are living in, in, we are living in total uh, disobedience to what Christ has told us to do. For example, we've talked about loving our neighbor as ourself. And if you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've been, you've been told, you have heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself. But I say unto you, love your enemy. In other words, and when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, he's making the point that your neighbor is the person that God has put in your path. They may not be the kind of person you really like, but they're the kind of person you have been called to love. And this is what he has called us to do. So discipleship focuses on the inner self. It consists of the, of the ideas and beliefs and emotions that we have. It touches us deeply. I can remember many years ago, uh, sitting at a chapel service at a college I was going to, and uh, the guy that was speaking was preaching on Romans 6. And he says, this chapter hangs on three words, know, reckon, and yield, well, I left that behind me after a while because I thought it was too simplistic. But it's really a profound truth. If you, if you read through the, the chapter, Romans chapter 6, you'll see those three words a couple of times. Know, that is, you have to know something. You have to know what Christ has done. You have to know that when he died, uh, you died with him. You were baptized into Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, you've been baptized into Christ. And he says, therefore, you have died with Christ. And you have been raised with Christ, and you have access to the Father. So that's the know. That's what you know. And then you're to reckon that to be true. This is a this is a um, kind of a secret to the Christian life uh, today. Is that you not only need to know some things, you need to reckon them to be true. Now reckon. If you're from Oklahoma, reckon means a little bit different. This isn't. I reckon it's true. It means I count it to be true. I know that it's true. I wonder what it would be like if you got voted in as president of the United States and you woke up the next morning and you, you didn't remember that. You still felt like you were the same old person that you are. And so you didn't, you didn't live as the president of the United States. That's a lousy example. But, but you understand what I mean. That what happened to you when you came to faith in Christ is life transforming There are lots of people who claim to be Christians who have never been born again. And that's if you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, and he's evaluating Jesus and Jesus says to him, you can't see the kingdom of God and you can't enter the kingdom of God until you have been born again. And being born again is being born of the spirit. I need to be born of the spirit in order to actually have a relationship with Christ and have this new experience of being alive to God in Christ Jesus. So I need to, first of all, know what's true. What is the truth that I can't see? It's the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And if I have believed on him, if I have put my faith in him, and I have been joined him, I've been born again, then everything has changed for me. My relationship with God is completely different. If you read the book of Hebrews, you find two truths that are repeated over and over and over again. And that is that you have free access to God. As a believer, you can talk to him anytime under any circumstances. And the second truth is, when you go to him, you have freedom of speech. You can actually speak your heart. If you want to complain to God about the way he's running the earth, you can do that. It's really foolish, but you can do that because you have freedom of speech. You can express to him what's really going on in your heart. But the wonderful thing is that he's changed us. And he's changed things about us that we can't even see. And so what he wants us to do is to find out what has happened in our lives as it's unfolded to us in the scriptures. And then he wants us to count it to be true. And then he wants us to live according to that reality. Live out your true identity as a child of God. That's what he's called us to. And so in this in this section, I want to read uh, uh, James 5, verses 7 through 12, and I want you to to listen to, to what he's saying here. This flows out of chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, which we looked at last time. And that is uh, righteousness, what righteousness really is. But listen to what he says in verse 7. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Now, it's not until the coming of the Lord. That's the parousia of God. That's when Jesus Christ comes into our presence and we can see him. We'll see him. And we'll know who he is, and he'll know who we are. It isn't going to be like, now, what's your name? Oh, yeah, good to meet you. It's not going to be like that. He knows you inside and out right now, and he actually loves you. That's an astounding truth, isn't it? That Jesus Christ loves his people. And so he says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. I've mentioned this before. The early and late rains in the Old Testament was God's way of preparing and and feeding the soil of the land because they didn't have an irrigation system. They had a God in heaven who controlled the weather. And so he brought an early rain which softened the soil. They could turn it. They could plant seed and so forth. And then the latter rain which actually irrigated the soil, and the crop came. And they understood that God was responsible for their fruitfulness, that it was God who was doing what needed to be done. Then he goes on, you too, like those farmers in the first century, you too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. It's quite literally, for the coming of the Lord has drawn near. In other words, nothing has to happen between now and the coming of the Lord. We can expect him today. He's coming. And he says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another. Complain against one another. Huh. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Isn't that something? You know, in the book of Malachi, it talks about how God takes notes on your conversations with each other. Isn't that something? That's a figurative, it's a picture. But God actually cares what we talk to each other about as we talk about Christ, as we talk about the Lord together. And he is at the door and he's listening to our conversations. And so he says, don't complain. Don't complain, brethren, against one another. It always strikes me that when I'm talking to a believer, I'm talking to somebody that God has set his love upon, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world to become holy and blameless before him in love, predestinating us into adoption as sons. In other words, God chose you. And there may be things about you I don't like or things about me you don't like. But the fact is, God is the one who put us in the family. And he calls us to love each other. And so he says, watch out because you need to show patience Let me explain. Patience and endurance are always together. The difference between them is this. Patience is a character. It's a characteristic of your character. It's an element of your character. You're either a patient person. I should have all the patient people stand up. That's what I thought. Uh, Patience is a part of our character. Jesus was patient. It was a part of his character. God is patient. And he's called us to be patient. It's primarily related to dealing with difficult people. I'm looking to see who you you turn your head to look at. It's it's uh it is about how I it, what the word the word is actually very uh, clear word picture macrothumia. If you know what a macro is, if you own, own a computer and you know what a macro is. It act, a macro actually means uh, over a long a big a, a large area. It's like a macro works on your computer and it touches everything in it in the software. Makrothamia is keeping your boiling point a long ways off. You've met people who are, they're on the verge of blowing up every moment. And if you say something that they don't like, they're about to blow their stack. That's the opposite of patience. Patience is the person whose character has been affected by his relationship with God. And therefore, he knows God is in control. And not the Bank of America or, you know, at t or anybody else. It's the God of the universe who's in control. And so we can be patient. Now, endurance means that you continue, and only a patient person would, would manifest endurance. Endurance is staying under pressure over a long period of time. Continuing on, doing what God's called you to do, even though there's Resistance. We've listened to missionaries many times who've come and talked to us and told us about the situation they're in and the things that they face, and they seem so difficult. And you wonder, what keeps them going? That endurance is produced in their hearts through the Holy Spirit. But the way that you access that is by believing what God says is true about you and your relationship with him. That is, all that has happened that you can't see for example, the fact that you died in Christ, you were buried in Christ, you were raised in Christ. Believing that report of that in the word of God and then applying it to your life. In other words, living out of this truth. Living out of that truth so that, so that what you're doing is you're exercising faith by the very decisions that you make. And so the, the, uh, what, what he's talking about here is patience and then endurance. He says in verse 8, You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord has drawn near. Do not complain against the brethren, against one another, so that your, you, you yourselves may not be judged. Behold the judges standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and, and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You know any prophets? You know about Ezekiel and Daniel and, and Elijah. And you know there's all kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. But he picks out a couple of examples here. And he says this. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. You remember what happened to, to, uh, to Job. He, he endured all kinds of suffering because the Lord was showing Satan what a man would do who had faith in the living God. But Job had some friends who came around and they began to tell him, you're suffering because you've sinned and God's angry at you. Now, that wasn't true. In fact, we've been told in the very beginning of the story that Job was a perfect man in his relationship with God. And so they keep picking on him and picking on him and picking on him. And even his wife turned on him. I, w- I couldn't take that. That's one thing I couldn't take. But his wife turns on him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Because he's covered with boils and all kinds of things. His children have died and his, all of his livestock have died. But what, you know what he said? He said, I'm going to trust God. When his wife told him, uh, curse God and die, he says, can't God give me uh, good as well as that which is hurtful? He's in charge. So I trust him. Well, later on in the story, God shows up. And uh, what Job says is to God, as he sees God, God actually appears to Job. And Job says, I've heard the rumors about you, but now I see you and I repent. In dust and ashes, I realize that I shouldn't even begin to defend myself. You have the right to do whatever you want in my life. And then God turned everything around. And blessed him far more than he had had before this trial had come upon him. And so we are to live our lives, he says, with patience and to endure whatever it is we're facing, uh, and show this this virtue of patience that is seen in God and seen in Jesus Christ. That's one of the fruit, of the, one aspect of the fruit of the spirit: patience and endurance, character, and activity. Um, People who are patient in character are able to endure. So patience and endurance and the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. You know, if you want to draw a crowd, all you can do is start a series on the last days. The coming of the Lord. What I love about it's so simple because the Bible tells us when Jesus is coming. I don't know if you knew that. You may not know that, but the Bible actually says we know when he's coming. He's coming back when his enemies have been made his footstool. The father told him, come and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So when God's ready, he's going to send his son and he's going to deliver us. We're going to see him face to face. And all those things that we have believed about him, we're going to see are more than truth. They're, they're more glorious than we thought. They're, they're absolutely marvelous. So the manifestation of God's righteousness in delivering his people and bringing judgment to those who oppress them is going to happen when Jesus comes back. He's going to deliver his people. And he's going to establish his kingdom. Now, I want us to think about this. Uh, why do we need patience? And here's, here's what he says in this passage. He gives us five reasons that we need, we need patience. To come to be patience in becoming a disciple, a mature disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm fully aware that some of you have never even thought about becoming a disciple or growing as a disciple or learning more about Christ and the Christian life in order to come to maturity in faith. But that's what God wants for you. He wants to bless your life through maturity in Christ. He wants you to come to know these glorious truths. And so he gives us here five reasons why we need patience. And the first reason, is, well, the con, I, sorry, I jumped ahead. The context of this is given in this section on righteousness. We've been called to righteousness. And he says we have to be patient. Because all of us are aware, if we know each other, that none of us are finished disciples, are we? Nobody has arrived. We're all in process. Well, the first reason he gives here is there's no shortcuts to maturity. Wait a minute. Uh, Okay, there it is. (laughs) there's no shortcuts to maturity wouldn't it be great to find out a shortcut you can get those on the internet if you you, uh, google it you'll find some great ways to to have a a shortcut to spiritual maturity they're all lies but they're all over the place and so one of the reasons we have to be patient is because there are no shortcuts to maturity and As we've seen in James, it includes trials. You know what trials are? When you go through these things and it makes you want to ask, God, what are you doing? I thought you saved me to bless me. Why am I going through this? What's the purpose of this? Well, listen to what he says in verses 7 and 8. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits, and he goes and tells a story about how we have to be like the farmers who wait for the early and latter rain. In other words, there's things in your life that God wants to do and produce, and that's why he brings trials into your life. He actually knows what you need. He actually knows the kind of growth and maturity you need. And so he brings custom-tailored trials into your life and my life. Then this, the second reason he gives is your calling requires endurance. Well, there it is. <laughs> oh, I can see it right over there. I forgot. Uh, your calling requires patient endurance. That's something people don't like to hear. God has called you to something. He's actually gifted you so you could serve him. This is the way Peter puts it. He says, God has given you a spiritual gift so that you can dispense the, mul- the, the, the grace of God. You can dispense the grace of God into people's lives, and God's given you a gift to do that. Now, there are 20 different gifts listed in the New Testament, as I've said many, many times, but Peter says there's two kinds. There are those in the category of service, And those in the category of speaking, God's either gifted you to speak truth into people's lives in various ways, like teaching or exhortation, prophecy. But um, He's also given some people the gift of service. I married a woman who's got the gift of service. I thought that that was a good choice. You know, uh, who actually is energized in serving people? Isn't that amazing? It's wonderful. And so your calling requires endurance because God's called you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He hasn't called you to be a Christian in name. He's called you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you're a disciple, you will begin to look like Jesus in ways, not physically, but you will begin to look like him in the way that you love people and you serve people. And all of us see people all around us in any local churches this way. You see people who are servants of God, and it's so obvious. They're so anxious to serve and love people. That is a work of the Holy Spirit, and this is a part of growth. It's a a reason that we have to have patience, because our calling requires perseverance and patience. And then the fourth reason he gives is God is full of compassion and mercy. I love this. You have heard of the endurance of Job. In other words, Job endured hardship, real hardship. Do you remember what happened to him? All of his livestock was killed. All of his children were killed. He was left, and all of his friends who gathered around him was trying to tell him what was wrong with him, why God was punishing him so, so harshly. And his wife says to him, why don't you curse God and die? See, he had it bad. That was really bad. And he says, you, you, have, you know about this. You've, come, you've, come, you've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. My friend Frank Williams, uh, who's an old, old friend, we went to high school together, and we were roommates, and then he lived with uh, my family for about a year. We were in business together. And uh, we've been friends for a long time. And the last couple of times I've seen him, he can hardly, he can't even talk to you. He's just got no strength. He hasn't got the strength to even have, have a conversation. And it breaks my heart. It overwhelms me. There are times when I go in there to see him and I want to just start bawling because it's so sad. And, uh, and yet I know he's in the hands of God. I know he's a follower of Jesus. I know that he knows Christ. And Christ has used him in so many people's lives. How many of you have been discipled by Frank? As I know there's several of you. They all sit in the same row. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> um, and he, does, he did that. He's done that over the years because of his love for Christ and his love for people. And so Jesus may be calling him home. I don't know. That may be what's happening. It's hard to pray, isn't it? Because I want him to be healed and, and raised up and live longer. But I also want him I want, I, when I pray for him, I pray like this, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. My will is that you would heal him and raise him up and strengthen him, make him look and act like a 25-year-old. But your will be done. Um, and we have other people, obviously, that are going through really severe trials, and uh, we need to remember that God is full of compassion and mercy. He does let us go through trials, but he's full of compassion and mercy. He knows how to show mercy on us in the midst of trials. And we learn things about him. We, don't, we couldn't learn any other way. And then finally, the fifth reason is that the object of our faith is more important than the intensity of our faith. Let me explain that. Let's say you have a guy who's got a four-wheel drive pickup, one-ton pickup, full of cement and all kinds of stuff. And he drives down to a lake that's frozen over and he, he believes the ice is thick enough to hold him up. And then there's this other guy who comes down on his bicycle and he's gonna, he thinks the ice has strong, is strong enough it'll hold him up. And so he takes off and goes across the lake and the guy in the pickup starts and goes. And uh, who's got the most faith?
1: It isn't, it isn't the guy with
0: the truck. He might be dumber. You never know. You know what's going on is the, the important thing is, what are you trusting in? It's not how, how great your faith is. It's how great is the object of your faith. Who are you trusting? Well, Jesus Christ, is he actually who the Bible says he is? Is he the eternal son of God who came into this world in order to rescue you and to bring you back into a relationship with God for which you were created? If you're trusting in him, it doesn't matter if you're driving a 10-ton truck or riding a bicycle, You can trust him. He's trustworthy. And so what he says here, listen to these words. He says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is yes and your no is no, that you may not fall under judgment. In other words, don't brag about the greatness of your faith. Put your heart and your soul and your will, base it solely upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ he's going to get you through this trial and he's the only one who can and you can trust him and you don't have to, uh, you don't have to doubt him because your trial's big, but he's bigger. He's a glorious God. He's able to take us through and hold us up and bear us up. And so the reason that we need to have patience is this isn't going to happen overnight. You're not going to become a spiritual giant in a week. In fact, you're not going to be a spiritual giant in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years, and neither am I. We just have a giant Savior. We have a glorious Savior who's able to save to the uttermost. And it doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter what stage of life we go through. I have, a couple of years ago, I was uh, teaching a course at uh, Grace School of Theology, and the the classes, I had a late class, and so it went from like, uh, what was it? It was 8 to 10. Well, I'd been given a new medication, a blood pressure medication. He added to the one I had because you know how they are at Kaiser. They want to get your blood pressure down to 70 over 50. (laughs) Uh, And uh, this stuff, it nearly sunk me. I got done teaching. I didn't think I could make it to the car. And I didn't want to admit it to them, these students, because I didn't want them to see my weakness because I thought wow it's catching up with me <laughs> what is going on here I was literally had no strength at all and yet I had Christ and I knew that I was in his hands so I said to the class could I get a couple of you guys just to walk with me to my car I'm feeling so weak I don't know if I can make it there <laughs> and we were on the second floor so I had to go down and go down a set of steps and so forth well I recognize that that's just one, that's kind of an illustration of our trials. We get into these trials and we discover how weak we are and how much we need Christ. We need him so bad. When I was talking to Frank Williams yesterday, I went in his room several times to try to get him to kind of wake up and talk to me. He just couldn't. He looked at me, but he just could hardly talk. All he could do was barely breathe. And uh, those kind of times we recognize how weak we are. And everybody would think, man, it's so much better. It would be a better uh, testimony to God if I was really strong. You know, people said, wow, you know, it's amazing how you can move and and everything at your age. (laughs) But that's not it. It's I have a Savior. I have a Lord that I trust. And I got to tell you, this is so simple. It was part of what Frankie was reading a while ago is that The Christian's life is all about discovering from the word of God what you can't see, but is true. And God tells you what is true. He tells you, like in Romans 6 or Romans 8, it tells you the truth about who you are and what your relationship with Christ really is. And then it tells you to reckon it to be true. That is to count it to be true. This is really true. And then he tells you to act in a way that shows you believe it to be true. We're all in his hands. There's some of us who are facing things that it feels like I'm probably I know my talking to Frank and his his wife they don't believe he's going to live more than a couple of weeks, but there's a God in heaven who's making the decisions, and that very well may be true, and so we'll then we'll praise God for the gift that He was to us, but He may raise him up because He's like that, isn't He? He's He's incredible. God is glorious. And he's, and he's able to do for us better than we could ever plan. But in order for us to grow to be people of faith, disciples who have faith in Christ, it takes patience because it's a long process. And it's a process of you believing God and finding out what God has actually said in his word, what's true of you. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What, what goes with that? I mean, what about, is the spirit living in me? Yes, yes. The Bible says that very clearly, and that I can walk in the Spirit. Uh, is God my Father? Is He really my Father? Yes, He is. You're born of God as a believer. You're born of God. It says it to us in John chapter 1, about verse 12, something like that, right in there. He says, uh, He came into His own things, that is His creation, because He's the one who spoke it all into existence. It says, He came into His own things, and His own people did not receive Him. But as many as did receive him, like Peter, James, John, those were Jewish men who believed on Jesus. As many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. In other words, you came to be a child of God, and now God is your father. And so Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, he says, pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Isn't that wonderful? We can talk to our Father. And Jesus, the eternal Son of God, says he's your Father too. And you're to to pray to him like this. You're to pray to him as though he knows you. He recognizes you. He knows all about you. So please don't give up the process of becoming a real disciple of Jesus, grow, come to the word of God, find out what's really true. You could start in Colossians chapter one. It tells you what's really true. And then it tells you what you ought to do in response to this. How should I treat God since I'm one of his children? How should I treat Christ since I'm one of his disciples and he lives in me? you see and then we start living according to truth revealed to us in scripture and and uh, and we can experience the glorious glorious effects of that in our life let's pray father we bow our hearts to you we recognize our weakness our vulnerability we recognize father we're we're such a long ways from the end of this process of being like christ but oh we desire to grow We desire for you, Father, to demonstrate your power in our lives that would draw people to Christ. So that's what we pray for. Help us to be patient in this process. Help us to realize, Father, that this is the most glorious process in all the world for a person to go through is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's our heart's desire. So we pray that you would cause that to sink deep in our hearts and for us to pursue you with everything that we are. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.